Welcome to Heroes Home Base Podcast, Episode 2. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Rob. Good morning, True Believers. This is Mark. And this is Rich. So uh, how are you guys doing this morning? I got my uh, coffee next to me. Uh, I believe I'm on my second mug. I got my extra large Batman mug next to me. I'm great. It's just a fall Saturday morning here in New York City. I'm good. I already chugged all my coffee. (laughs) How's everybody's week been so far? Not too bad. Been a little busy at work, but, you know, that's on the regular. It's just uh, nice to get together with you guys and do the show. Yeah, well, I'm not doing too bad either. Work is uh, work. Um, anticipating some changes, but uh, looking forward to uh, chatting with you guys this morning and talking about comic books. Well, it's definitely fall here in the city. There's definitely a crisp in the air. It's definitely cooler now. And it is definitely, we're about 19 days away from New York City Comic Con. I mean, people are talking about it. I heard a little bit of buzz about it on the train. And I'm starting to see things in the newspaper and online and little clips here and there. So it's definitely around that time. It's my favorite time of the year. And for me, my, my work week was pretty good. Work is great. I um, It's so funny because there's a guy at my job who I talk comics with. We have a system at work, kind of like an instant messenger. He and I are in two different locations. We used to be in the same building, but we're in two different locations, and we have an instant messenger, and we just talk comics in the morning, mm-hmm. and it totally makes the day go by a lot faster, and it's just great to talk comics with another guy. And he actually informed me, and I checked it out this week, the Birds of Prey trailer actually dropped this week. Yeah, I, I, I saw it. I checked it out. Yeah, was it the a, the trailer or like the teaser trailer? The teaser trailer. Okay. Because it was only about 30 seconds long. It was really quick, but it definitely, I could definitely see where this is, it's going to be good. Um, Here's my thing. Title- it was, I really didn't see a glimpse of any of the main birds of prey. It was just Harley Quinn. I saw clips of them because I know who's playing the characters, but I just, again, I think it's just a teaser trailer because it doesn't come out until February of 2020, but I think it was just a little teaser trailer, but I did uh, notice just a few of the people who are going to be playing the Birds of Prey characters, and I think, you know, they're one of my all-time favorites. I mean, the Avengers, it goes Avengers and then Birds of Prey. They're my favorite heroes, these group of ladies. And I feel like they're kind of like lesser-known heroes. But if you remember back in 2002, uh, there was a Birds of Prey show that was on the WB. And it ran yeah, for one wasn't, season. Yeah, wasn't it awful? It was bad, wasn't it? I it remember. Was... No, do you remember when we went to Chicago Comic Con and we were standing in line to meet uh, Michael Rosenbaum and they were talking about dropping that trailer? I do remember that. I don't remember that, but I, do, I, 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 I think I remember where we were and what we were doing, but I don't remember him saying that. But I do, I remember that show vividly. I believe it came on like Tuesday nights on the WB, and I remember to be right. I would stop. I was in college. I was in my dorm. I would stop everything I was doing to make sure I was watching Birds of Prey. And at the time, it didn't I didn't last very long, did it? It was only on for one season. And had they done it, kind of like not spend it the way they did i think would have run on for much longer they're such strong great characters i really love them a lot and 
Do you feel that this movie is going to do Birds of Prey justice? Because Harley Quinn's not in the Birds of Prey. No, I I, I don't know. Uh, based off what I see, I can't really tell so far. But I just I I want to keep my fingers crossed, and I'm just gonna I feel positive about it only because I love these characters so much. Hey, I'm gonna but, give them credit though. Sorry to interrupt, Mark. I, I think what they're what they're doing, I noticed kind of a little jab at it. At least that was the 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 sense that I got watching the teaser trailer with all the balloons and everything. And she's like, I'm sick of clowns. So I'm like, all right, Joker, obviously, but it, I, I'm wondering if the timing of this teaser trailer is obviously right when it volume two came out. So I wonder if it was kind of a jab just at uh, Stephen King a little bit. I don't know. You know, we're just starting this podcast. I wonder if we could maybe do a deep dive here and discuss some of our all time favorite characters, whether they be mainstream or more nuanced. What do you think, Rich? I like that idea. Mark, why don't you uh, explain to us why you really, really love Birds of Prey? The Birds of Prey is definitely, that team is definitely, they're my favorite group of heroes, one of my favorites, right behind the Avengers. But these three ladies, they are my favorite, especially the originals. And Rank them, Mark. Who are your, like, how would you rank them in terms of your favorite? Probably it was Black Canary, Oracle, and Huntress. Actually, it would go Oracle, Black Canary, and Huntress. I'm about to say, dude, because... Oracle's like your all-time favorite. Get out of she here. Is, she is my favorite because, I mean, she was the original Batgirl. And instead of letting, you know, her down and just remaining in a wheelchair, she became something. So she became so intricate to the Justice League, to the Birds of Prey, to just the DC Universe. You know, she just became so important to that universe because I think she, she became even more important as Oracle than she was just as Barbara Gordon. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, at, she has the information super highway at her fingertips, you know what I'm saying? She can do so much damage. You know, it's almost like she became the bat computer. Like, cause even just keeping it in Gotham, Batman started relying on her a lot more too. Absolutely. I mean, cause you, as a, Human, as a person who's able to walk, I mean, you can only be in one place at so many times. But on the internet, you can be in three different locations all over the world at the same time. So she became very intricate and very important to that universe. So, I mean, she was probably one of my all-time favorites. And right behind her is Black Canary and then the Huntress. Just as those women. And plus the artwork and and the story by Chuck Dixon that did it back in 1996 and Gary Frank and John Dell, those guys really, that was the first Birds of Prey one shot. And that was just, that's one of my all time favorite books. And so uh, I was so Do you think that Oracle was pre-internet like in real life? Yeah, absolutely. The original internet. Yeah, she was, you know what I mean? DC Comics. But, you know, (laughs) Barbara Gordon, she was always a very, like, an information buff because she worked at the library. She used the library's resources at times to take down crime and to find out certain information. It, like, keeps her in touch with kind of her original story since, obviously, libraries are still around, but clearly not the primary way to get information. That's kind of funny. Probably should be the primary way to get information. It should be, but unfortunately, we're all, you know, into technology hey, and everything. But go ahead. Maybe this is another standalone book. Wasn't Lois Lane affiliated with them for a little while? Not. I, she might have been because I kind of fell out of Birds and Prey for that while when I wasn't collecting. But she might have been just a little, but I don't think she was like one of the main staples. Or was that the Respect miniseries or that something? That was the Respect miniseries. She had her own book. 
for that particular uh, miniseries. I remember you coming up to my locker in eighth grade at Woodward Park telling me that. The, I remember that. Um because I remember my locker was right outside Miss Bleas' class. Like you came up to me and told me, like, Lois Lane's got her own book in respect this week. And so she had her own standalone book. But, I mean, she may have been mentioned in Burns of Prey. She may have worked with him on her case or two. But I don't think she was really, uh, it may have been like a guest spot. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, so that that totally brought up my book for the week is the 1996 Birds of Prey Chuck Dixon one shot that this is one of my all time favorite books that I still read to this day. And it was at a time where black canary was kind of like in limbo. You know, she was living in Seattle. She didn't have any money. She didn't know what her next, you know, case was. And her life was just kind of in shambles and Oracle needed an operative for a specific mission. And she looked down the lands up and kind of, brought her back to life and brought her back to gave her some stability and got her working again. And she became Oracle's eyes and ears on the ground in the field. Since Oracle couldn't be out in the field, she was like her op- main operative. She became her eyes and ears and Oracle kind of got the so mission. What, and- what was the overall mission in that miniseries? Did it change or was it uh, a specific villain? It was this issue took place at an, uh, at an Island. It was like a third world country. And she ended up staying at a resort and taking down some of the organized crime that was at that particular location. And correct me if I'm wrong, I maybe Green Arrow was not one of the main characters I followed. Were they a thing? And obviously he died in some series and then didn't come back until Kevin Smith resurrected him. Which, when you said she was like in limbo, was that part of that status for her? No, they were an item for a very long time, for a very, very, very long time. And I think that after he fell off, she kind of fell off too. But she dyed her hair blonde because she wore the blonde wig for a long time. So she ditched the wig and she got into costume and she totally brought her back to life. But I'm sorry, did I answer your question, Rob? Yeah, because I think, and Rich, you might know this, didn't Green Arrow die in Crisis? No, Oliver Queen didn't die in Crisis. He died back in 95 in Green Arrow 101. He was involved in this. He was trying to stop a dirty bomb from going into Metropolis, and his arm was attached to one of the pressure switches, and he was shot. And So Superman tried to save him, but was unsuccessful. He ended up sacrificing himself, so that's how he died. This group is one of my favorite group of heroes, and that's the book that I chose this week. And it just so happened that it was awesome that the Birds of Prey trailer dropped, so I'm really curious as to how they update it. Um, I think the title for the movie is a little long, but I I like that they are bringing these characters to life and they're giving these, these group of heroes a voice. So if you had, if you're staring at the lineup, I know you just, I know you listed them in order. So if you had to say one hero from the Birds of Prey, who would you choose and why? Oracle, because of the fact that she didn't let her paralysis uh, take her down and the fact that she's so smart and that in particular issues, even though they had her in the wheelchair the whole time during the Chuck Dixon run of Birds of Prey, one episode, one issue I remember her apartment being broken into. She went on a date with this guy, and he ended up bringing his thug's friends over to her, and she she kicked their ass. <laughs> there were three major guys, and she ended up learning a form of martial arts where she uses these, uh, there's like these staves that she keeps in a wheelchair, and she was able to defend herself and really hurt these guys and got these guys, she really whooped their ass just by sitting in a wheelchair. So it was really, really uh, cool to see. So she's probably one of my favorites. The fact that she can do so much just from the internet and she's still so important to so many people, uh, she, that's probably one of the reasons why she's my favorite. 
Yeah, I think she's one heck of a dynamic character. Just, you know, something unfortunate happens to her. She's like a staple of the universe, but then they're able to expand her capabilities and what she can offer um, after that tragedy. I think that's she's a pretty cool character. I agree with you, Mark. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, if you are in a wheelchair and you collect comic books, I mean, I think she'd be a huge inspiration. Well, I know in like the new 52 and now in the current run of Batgirl, she had some kind of spinal surgery to where she's back under the cowl as Batgirl now. And to be honest with you, I think although she got used to not using her legs, I think that she prefers to be on the ground and doing the work herself. So what about you, Rich? What's going on in your world? Well, obviously, everybody who knows me that my favorite hero is definitely Superman. And I was really trying to come up with original comic because there's so many good ones. I could have chose uh, Kingdom Come. I could have chose Crisis on Infinite Earths from the 80s or even uh, Superman for all seasons. But instead of going a more classic route for this particular conversation and uh, subject, I chose a more modern book. It was uh, Superman number 28 from uh, August 2016 from the Rebirth line, and it was written by Peter Tomasi, and it's basically Lois and Clark are married, and from the previous continuity of New 52, they now have a son, John. So, so issue 28 is entitled Independence Day, and in the very beginning, Superman's carrying a giant RV on his back, and Lois and John are in the front and passenger seat of it and they're going to take a family day trip to Washington, D.C. And when they get there, they start at the Capitol building, and on the front steps of the Capitol building, there's protesters on opposite sides. And uh, John starts asking him questions about it, so Clark and Lois take the opportunity to to explain to him that in America, we have the freedom of speech and expression, and that's what these protesters are doing, and they really use the opportunity to explain to him what a great country we live in. And then it just it moves on down Washington, D.C., and they go to the World War II Memorial. Uh, they read a bunch of plaques to John, and then it goes into the Korean War, and he didn't. And John's like, I don't even know anything about it. And uh, Lois and Clark are basically, you know, just explaining to him that Congress never officially declared war. It was like a police action. It was like the Forgotten War. Then they move on to the Vietnam Wall. And it's, it's cool because... In real life, like, I've seen all these things, and it was just really cool to see the mother and the father explain to their younger son what it is, what it's all about. And I like how uh, Tomasi, he basically wrote in that Lois's father's brother was killed in Vietnam, and they find his name on the wall. So it's almost like if you ever want to go to Washington, D.C. and see the Vietnam Wall, like, really dig in and try to find some names and pay homage to him then it was they flew to Gettysburg and they're walking the fields of Gettysburg and explaining the Gettysburg address and like the the little round top and all that other stuff and uh then they meet a family this was like my favorite part they meet a family in the woods and they're having a birthday party for this it's like a I don't know like a grandfather and aunts and uncles and this other little boy. And they're having a birthday party for a guy they named Thomas Dowd. And he's basically this guy who enlisted. He goes and uh, he leaves his wife and his infant and goes and fights on the front line. And uh, he's injured in a little in Rock Creek and he loses his leg from infection. 
and then a, a storm comes through and floods out the makeshift hospital and there was a bunch of people in there and everybody was found except for this guy. So the family over the years always comes to this spot and they have a birthday because they never found his remains. And the whole ending of the book is they go back to the RV, they're sleeping, and then Clark wakes up and gets his Superman outfit on and flies away and then goes and finds the bones of this soldier like trapped in tree roots of this creek and he wraps them in a, uh, in a an American flag and delivers it to the family and he puts a little post-it note it says I ran DNA samples at the Justice League headquarters this indeed is Thomas Dowd 154 years is long enough take him home hmm. that's cool so I don't know I think Superman the way it's he's currently written he's always been written as like the ultimate you know always has super moral compass somebody to look up to but it's like this this issue really resonated with me just because being a father of of a son eight years old right around this age of john that he's being written and i don't know it's just trying to share history and just the love of the country and how special it is here. And I just think it was really, really cool. And to have Superman be this alien who adopted on the planet. And he's like, still to this day, he's just an icon. And, you know, I don't want that to be a generic answer, but I like the father side of Superman. It's something you can relate to now. Absolutely. I think it's interesting how, you can make history relevant and relatable through something like a story with Superman and his family. So I almost wonder if I would have enjoyed, enjoyed things like history and things, if it could have been written through the lens of comics. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember going to Washington DC with a family and we also went in high school and we went to Gettysburg and basically this whole laundry list in this book is laid out. Maybe that's a reason why I liked it too, was it was all the monuments that we visited Mm -hmm. and it's just funny to see it through the lens of Clark Kent trying to teach his boy about history. Yeah. And I know obviously there's some, there's probably going to be some entertainment spins on it, right? Like Superman finding the bones, but I think it just helps you connect with real history and you know what it means to be an American in this case. I just think that's comics have a unique ability to do some of that stuff. That's a cool story. Yeah. So much like you, Rich, everybody that knows me knows that Batman is my all time favorite. And for countless reasons, I mean, it was probably one of the first heroes I started following, but as I've kind of grown up and gone to school and had a career change, um, kind of mental health and psychology is now kind of a big part of my world. So one of the things that I've always loved about Batman is kind of that dual sides of his nature, right? So I can be this public icon and rich, influential person in Bruce Wayne who suffered a huge tragedy at a young age, and then how is he using that um, through the character of Batman, I just always found it really fascinating. Do you uh, uh, do you operate under the the idea that Bruce Wayne is really the mask? Yeah, 
for sure. Okay. I think um, ah, good point. he uses, yeah, he uses Bruce Wayne to source Batman. But yeah, I think Batman is his primary identity and Bruce is kind of the secondary in this case. Ah. I just think when he decided to be Batman, the mask was then Bruce Wayne. Yeah, for sure. Um, I didn't take um, the same route you did, Rich. I just kind of picked up three um, significant storylines that I remembered that kind of helped inform why I think Batman is so kick-ass. So I actually reviewed some of those books the other day. And, I mean, I already mentioned um, the Nightfall series. So I did read over Batman 497, where Bane actually breaks his back. Um, And just remembering how awesome that storyline was, how Bane really did a nice job just wearing Batman down and then jumping on him when he was uh, most vulnerable. I thought that was pretty sweet. I then, of course, read kind of the first couple issues of the Hush series, so that was Batman 608 and 609 when um, Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee and Scott Williams were doing that book. And just oh, it's such an amazing, such an amazing story. I almost want to go back and kind of reread it. But it's one of the an icon is definitely an iconic, iconic story for sure. Mm-hmm. When Bane broke Batman's back? Uh, Hush. Both, really. The Hush yeah, series both. is definitely a huge, huge addition to the batman story because i mean with that that it that particular i remember the panel where bane breaks batman's back and that was even used years later in the dark knight rises yeah yep i think that definitely informed that story for sure absolutely but one of the stories that i remembered but i had to do some research to kind of figure out the specifics of it but i always remembered it and it's kind of cool because the villain in the story is one of the original Batman villains. But it was uh, in 2000, um, one of the many Batman books that was around was Gotham Knights. You remember that, Rich? Yes, I do. So uh, you had, early well, you on... Had, you still had Batman, you had Detective Comics, you had Shadow of the Bat, you had Legends of the Dark Knight, and then mm-hmm. Gotham Knights was the last title. Yeah, and kind of early in the run, so it actually started in issue 8, um, and it went through issue 11, um, Dr. Hugo Strange. Mm. So that character has evolved a lot, but in this particular case, he's a psychiatrist. Um, but he somehow finds out that Bruce is Batman, and Batman gets... Um, kind of wind of this because that's the type of character that he is. And he actually like hypnotizes himself to completely forget that he's Batman. (laughs) And even Nightwing and Robin are out of loop on this. They're like, what is going on? He's like running and he's scared. And it was pretty sweet. But what actually you don't find out until almost the, the story is over that, um, Dick Grayson kind of, tells him the um, kind of the oath and it was um, to fight against crime and corruption and never swerve from the path of justice by saying that line it um, brought Bruce out of that yeah it brought him out of that hypnotic state 
And he's like, I did this to myself and I, I managed it would eventually I would come out of it over time or I just needed the, um, the, the oath to kind of release me from it, which I just thought was super sweet. Cause I mean, Batman is not only, you know, a master martial arts, he can fight, he's a true detective, but he does things with his mind where he can even put himself in a pretty vulnerable state. Cause it almost got him killed a couple times, but that, he can hypnotize himself to forget that he's Batman to try to defeat so someone in, like in this storyline. I don't, I don't quite remember it too much, but does he seek out Hugo Strange and then hypnotize himself, like, or is he captured? Or I don't remember. Um, I didn't review the first issue, so it would have been issue eight. But he starts to see Hugo Strange in a therapy session, and um. Hugo Strange is kind of like, you know, I know who you are and I'm going to make sure that, you know, the world finds out who you are. Um, and it kind of is a breaking point for Dr. Strange because he pretty much goes insane at the end of the the mini run here because he believes he actually killed Batman because Bruce is so convincing. Um, but one of the cooler parts of this was that as cool as Batman hypnotizing himself is, the fact that it connected to a character in strange who first premiered in detective 36 back in February of 1940. Okay. And I always forgot that he was one of those original characters, but he wasn't, um, a psychiatrist. They actually, um, had him as just this evil kind of character that, um, the FBI wanted, um, so it was like, he's like a crime boss that was a genius, essentially. So I thought it was really, so like, Bruce is like, Professor Hugo Strange, the most dangerous man in the world, scientist, philosopher, and a criminal genius. Little is known of him, yet the man is undoubtedly the greatest organizer of crime in the world. Like, I just like how he's an original character, but also his origins kind of evolve, much like most common characters. But that was kind of a, a very specific example of just one of the many reasons, because obviously I could cite several books and reasons I like Batman, but I just like how how versatile he is. So obviously the dual identity, um, but that he is able to do things and um, in some ways manipulate folks to get um, crime under control in Gotham City. So I just always love the mind kind of the mind game I'm almost that Batman represents. I like it. I'm going to definitely have to reread that one. Absolutely. And it's funny because I love that they took a character like Hugo Strange, who's been around for a long time, but if you get the right writer, they can completely revitalize and mm -hmm. update that I'm character. I'm a firm believer in that. Get the right writer and they'll, they'll take Man. it. Yeah, so that was Devin Grayson... Um, Roger Robinson and John Floyd were on that book, Gotham Knights, back in 2000. And I think the book ended January 2001. And so. it's funny because Hugo Strange, he still, it was still very relevant because he was in the Batman series that was on the WB that ran from, that was on, it was on for five seasons. I think it was 2000 or 2005. Hugo Strange was big in that. And he was in Gotham. Yeah, mm -hmm. the series on Fox that ran for five seasons. So he, that, that I'm telling you, he is not to be underestimated. Yeah, that character. So out of the, like the three picks here, 
So, obviously, Superman won, but where do you guys rank our three picks between Oracle, Superman, and Batman? In terms of who's the best? Yeah, man, come on. The best as far as what? Because all three of them have their their different strengths. Let's rank them. Hmm. Mark, you look pissed off. Uh, um, because that's a hard question. I would say, uh, because uh, popularity wise, uh, I don't know. Popularity wise, or I mean, for me, it would probably go. I for me, it would go Batman, Oracle, Superman. <laughs> I just like Batman's detective skills. I like his mind, and right up underneath him is Oracle because Batman trained Barbara Gordon. You know what I'm saying? So that would be my thing. And Superman, you know, it's he he's a little bright for me sometimes. He's a little bright, and I just don't feel he's as grittier. I need some grit in there. I need some struggles in there. I need some, you know, I need some of that. This boy just ranked Oracle over Superman. <laughs> I I just I. <laughs> I, she's my favorite. She's my favorite. <laughs> What's your pick, Rob? Uh, all right. Well, obviously, Batman is over Oracle because there's some dependency there, at least early on. Um, I don't know. I'm torn because obviously Batman being my favorite, I want to put him as number one. But I think so much of just the legacy of comics, not just in DC, but I think across the board, greatly depends on um, what Schuster and Siegel did with Superman. So, I mean, in terms of being the ultimate, I would probably, based on this list, I would probably go Superman, Batman, Oracle. That's my list. I I don't know. I, I agree with you, Mark. I love Barbara Gordon and who doesn't like Batman. Sometimes I think Batman's way more popular than Superman at times. I think one of the biggest important factors when talking about the man of steel is the iconic factor and i mean no disrespect to any other superheroes or any other universe when it comes to this discussion but i think the iconic factor is one that should never be forgotten and it reminded me of a uh, forward that christopher nolan wrote in a book that i have about superman and i think his words will really outline what i'm trying to say so here's what he wrote superman Superman, a name, the very name of heroism itself, much imitated, never bettered, for the exact reason of the concept's absolutism, the most powerful heroic figure ever created, a modern myth, a modern Greek god, but one with no equals, no peers. A universe of superheroes grew up around him, but Superman lets these others believe themselves to be in his league only because he knows that no one quite forgets that he was created as a singular heroic figure, the absolute peak of perfection by which any other hero must be compared and found wanting. Only Batman was allowed to gain a singular foothold in the popular imaginations because Batman was not a competing god merely the best hero that mankind could throw in the Man of Steel's wake. Surely then, Superman is the most obvious of all heroic figures. And I think Barbara is third for me just because she is smart, and Batman trained her, and it just evolved into she's a pivotal point of DC Universe, but I just don't see her above Batman or Superman. Is that good enough for you, Mark, or no? Yes, it is. And I understand what you guys are saying completely, so it's fine. I'm not offended. 
So, Rich, since we kind of talked a little bit about the evolution of characters, I just find it fascinating that Batman was actually a lot more violent when he was first written. Like, I'm looking through the Batman archives, and you know how, like, you open up the book, and then there's kind of, like, a title page with a picture, and then the panels start there? Like, in Detective 35, so January of 1940, the cover sheet shows Batman with a smoking gun in hand. Yep. So... You know, there's a lot of different ways these characters have evolved. But one of the things that fascinates me about the conflicts you were talking about with Batman and Superman is Injustice, where Superman crosses the line and almost becomes more of a Batman character. And And then Batman Batman almost becomes... Right, he almost becomes the Superman-like character that has more virtue and more ethics and more integrity than superman at that point which i think it's just amazing how you can kind of just what you can do with these characters i like i like it when uh writers play with the i don't know the status quo or whatever of a character which is another reason why i like the dark knight returns by frank miller because superman's basically like the puppet of the government and batman's not Mm -hmm. having it Mm -hmm. so I don't know. I think he's still like at the top that you can play with his virtues and different storylines and stuff like that and expose him for, well, what if he was like injustice where the Joker tricks him and he kills Lois and just goes insane. I just think that, you know, if we're sticking to the actual background of Superman, I just think it's hard to hard to top him in character. But of course, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about Batman, Superman, and some of these other characters that Mark loves. Because I know you're uh, more of a Marvel guy, Mark. I'm more of a Marvel guy. And with DC, you know, I think it's the women that, because I think a lot of my, well, again, I'm more team-oriented, but, you know, the Birds of Prey and um, Justice League, those two are my main kind of, um, and Catwoman who's also sometimes in Birds of Prey. Those are, I think it's the female characters that draw me to the DC universe and also uh, the teams. Like I'm a very team, all those personalities. The Justice League is a huge one for me. I remember Justice League year one, that 12, that issue mini series, I believe it was. Um, That was a huge uh, issue that I collected. That was a huge drawing power for me to over to DC. But yeah, mostly Marvel, but we'll get into all that. So if you guys want to be a part of this conversation and and tell us if we're wrong or if you agree or who you would have picked, uh, where can they email us, Mark? Email us at heroeshomebase at gmail.com. All right. Look forward to hearing from everybody. So we're going to do a little blast from the past here. Sure. All right. So I was digging through my old wizard magazines. And let's go back 20 years, so September 99. Gosh, that doesn't feel like that was 20 years ago. That's depressing. I know. I know, dude. And on the cover is, looks like Spider-Woman, and when they had, what was her name? Cassie Chan as Batgirl? Cassandra Cain. Cassandra Cain, yeah. The daughter of the assassin himself. So, like, the number one selling book in that in this time frame was uncanny x-men 371 and uh let's see let's do a little background this is from fandom marvel database let's see came out 
June June second, ninety nine, and was let's see, what's the synopsis on it, Mark, Mister uh, Marvel expert? It says that the X-Men have returned from space only to find a new menace looming over them. The phalanx, known as Doug Locke, has disappeared, leaving behind a techno-organic ground zero at the Muir Island Research Center. What's happened to him and who is responsible for his disappearance is what fandom says. I remember phalanx briefly appearing in a few episodes of the X-Men animated series that ran back in the early 90s. And I remember that I, they really touched on this story because it was an alien organism that absorbed or uh, took over organic or inorganic uh, life forms. So all a bunch of technology, uh, it took over, it, it could take over people. And I, it was a two-part episode um, back in the early 90s on X-Men, the animated series. So I remember that briefly. So it's that, that's... I just love seeing how certain comics can influence um, television. I love seeing that. Absolutely. Or you just recreate the same character in just different specific contexts. That's always cool. Like, again, you could write the same villain or the same hero in different lights and make it unique and awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. I'm telling you, get the right writer in there, and you. I just got goosebumps. It can totally bring a, a character, can revitalize a character. Mm-hmm. All right, it was good catching up with you guys. I'm Mark. I'm Rich. I hope you guys have a uh, great week this week, and uh, we'll see you soon. And I'm Rob. Again, I love having these conversations. look forward to many more to come. Mark, where again can they get a hold of us? Here is homebase at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this RMR production.